0: Everyone, this is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. Joan Robinson Hill. Lynn, she I want to be her friend. I mean, she's she's passed away, but I want to be her friend. I thought about that I wanted to be her because she lived this remarkable, exciting wealthy, horse-obsessed life for her 38 years, but she had this terrible demise. And so I don't want to be her. I wanted to be her friend. Well, and so what's funny about it is like I have been so wrapped
1: up in work travel and my job, and I have not had time to really research or do anything. And Gina's like... I got this. I got this. I've got this store for you. And every time that Gina and I talk, she's like, Oh my God, wait until we do this. It's so good. You've got to get into this. Like you've got to know the story. And so I'm going to walking into this blind today. (laughs) Gina's got my back, but I can't wait to hear
0: the story. I stumbled across it when we were doing the research for Larry McNabney. And that's an episode that you, you guys should listen to. It's a great. It's not even a murder mystery. It's just this random Quarter Horse Association murder. So I stumbled across this story doing the research on Larry, and I purchased this book. It's called Blood and Money by Thomas Thompson, and it's a big book book. I have read it, reread it, read it again, taken a thousand notes. And so a lot of the information that I'm going to share is from the book, although it is substantiated by a bunch of other sources and YouTube videos and stuff that I've read and watched. So it's a fascinating story. So Joan Robinson Hill, she was one of those people. She showed five gated horses. And she was one of those people that literally, it was back in the day when the paparazzi followed famous horse people. She was beautiful. She had this long silver ponytail. She was engaging and gregarious. What a character. But her story starts back, 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 long ago when she was born, she was adopted. Her father was Davis Ashton Robinson. Everyone called him Ash. Ash earned and lost through his lifetime multiple fortunes. So by the time that Joan was a little girl and a young woman, her father was a major oilman. I mean, typical Texas major oilman.
1: Well, and I think that happens in the oil industry, oil and gas industry,
0: too, that you make and
1: lose, lose fortunes, like fortunes overnight.
0: Yeah, and they said that Ash was this paradox. On one hand, he was, you know outspoken and strong and and forceful. Yet when it came to Joan, he was a complete pushover teddy bear. He was the typical, he wore a big black felt hat and he drove this big Lincoln automobile. I mean, J.R. Ewing. (laughs) Yes,
1: that's exactly what I thought. For our listeners that are old enough to know the TV series Dallas. Who shot (laughs)
0: J.R.? So yeah, he was basically J.R. Ewing. He married a woman named I've heard it called Rhea or Rhea. It's R-H-E-A. So I'm going to go with Rhea. So he married Rhea Ernestine Gardier. She was a true Southern belle. She had an impressive pedigree, but her family really didn't have any lasting money. I think they had money long ago. But by the time that Ash met her, she really didn't have much money. And she was like, you realize that I'm not from a wealthy family, right? I mean, we had it, but we don't have it anymore. And he's like, oh, no worries. I got you. I love you. Oh, let's get married. So Joan Olive Robinson was born to an anonymous mother and father in Eagle Lake, Texas. When she was one month old, she was taken to the, it was like like an adoption home. And that was in Fort Worth. Now, The story is that Rhea couldn't have babies. And she had a surgery to try to fix it, but it didn't work. And she was really content. She was happily married. Her and Ash were really happy together. She was really content, but she knew that Ash wanted a baby. And so and he didn't push her. He was he he loved his wife. He didn't push her, but he kind of was nudging her towards adoption. And so one day, Ria and her friend jumped on a train and they they rode the train to this adoption home and she just didn't connect with any babies, you know? So her and her friend went to the hotel, and they were getting ready to leave the next day. And the manager of the adoption agency, the adoption home, said pretty much, hey, there was this little girl. She she was sick, so we didn't show her to you yesterday, but she's available. And so Rhea went back and fell in love with the baby.
1: Aww. Right? Aww.
0: I and love this. It, I love it, too. But... There's also this discussion about how that's not how it really worked. You didn't go pick out a baby like you picked out a puppy.
1: Oh no, no. now <laughs> you're making me think about this or like, yeah. Um, well, that I mean did so did the option, adoption agency get paid?
0: Well, that's the that's the question that a lot of the sources I read proposed because someone said that well, there's rumors. The One of the rumors was that Ash actually got his secretary pregnant. And... Mm. Ash. That's the... No. Yeah. Ash. Right? And then there's also the other side of it that he paid someone that worked for him to carry his baby. And the baby miraculously ended up at this particular adoption agency where Rhea just happened to go And the baby was kind of held back the first day. But then when she was getting ready to leave, oh, here's this beautiful baby. So, and the thing is, this is a whole rabbit hole that you could spend a lot of time on. A lot of time. The thing is, no one ever knew for sure. Ash played it off. Now, later on, Joan was kind of curious about her biological parents. She without Ash and her mother knowing, hired a private investigator. And in the book, Blood and Money, the private investigator brought the information back to Joan, met her in a parking lot. She's reading it. And one of the 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 finding was that Ash was actually her biological father. And she was so just stunned and upset by this. She just ripped it all up, threw it down, I think I think the book said that she set the papers on fire and said, "My mom, pa, are my parents and that's all I need to know." Got in her Cadillac and drove away. So I think I think that when Joan passed, she believed that Ash, who she called pa, was her biological father. But nobody ever proved or disproved it for sure. So anyway, so and back to the story, Ria brought Joan home and Ash he so desperately wanted a little girl and Rio had been like I shared a little lukewarm to adoption, but they completely embraced her. Ash was, obsessed with her. And she came home in March of 1931. Rhea's love for Joan was described as tender and quiet and caring. And from what I've read, I think because of how Ash was kind of described, I think Rhea was pretty submissive. She was just a real sweet, loving, caring mother, where they described Ash's love as being powerful, crushing, and overwhelming. I mean, Basically, Joan was completely a daddy's girl. He was totally hands-on. The dude, the big oil man with the black Stetson hat and the Cadillac, mixed the formula, washed her diapers, took her out to the oil fields with him. And the people that worked in the oil fields always commented about how sweet it was that this big oil man brought his sweet little girl with him everywhere he went. I like Ash. I like Ash, too. I mean he really, really loved her. Now as the story goes on, you might change your thoughts about I Ash. Mean, right, did he make okay, so this is what I'm curious to find out.
1: Did he make her a Nellie Olson? <laughs> or she <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. Gina just took a drink of coffee when I said that and I almost spewed it. Spewed <laughs> it. <laughs> so what I wanna find out from you, Gina, yeah. and you can you can progress your story on as long as you want to, but is she a Nellie Olson or is
0: she... <laughs> Not a Nellie Olson? Not a Nellie. The opposite of Nellie. And the Nelly. funniest thing is that if I think about... We all had our favorite shows growing up. Little House on the Prairie. Hands down, my favorite show ever. That little
1: Nellie. What that a little, little bitch. Yeah, she was such a little bitch.
0: But I also give her credit. I give her props for being strong-willed and determined, I think. Okay, I'll give you Yeah, that. yeah. Okay. So back to back to John and Joan. He employed nursemaids, private schools, toe shoe dancers. Ash said only the best is what Joan would get. He also liked to drive her places. In fact, he enjoyed seeing the world through Joan's eyes so much that he actually hired a chauffeur so that he could focus on Joan everywhere they went in a car. That would be fun. I mean, as a parent, like, I got to say, like,
1: as a parent, how many distractions do we have trying to earn a living Yeah, and not being able... I mean, like, we do try to watch the world through our children's eyes, Yeah, but there's a lot of distractions along the way, and... Well, our husbands had to drive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think about driving Lila all over to go to horse shows. I'm driving. She's got her face in her stupid phone. And I'm always yeah. like, look, a purple cow. Look, a crop duster is coming over us. Look, there's the St. Louis Arch. I mean, I'm always forcing my child to get her face out of the phone and look outside. So. Well, we
1: played that game when we were kids, like, do the alphabet. Find the alphabet on yeah. the signs or look for punch buggies. Yeah. <laughs> Like, stuff like that, because yeah. we didn't have the electronics. Correct. For so. every 10 cars. Yeah. And everybody's I like, oh, you got
0: a motor home. That was
1: a better time, I think, for children to be grow, to grow up than now because yeah. of the electronics. Yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons for both.
0: I'm not sure Lila has seen anything from our hometown to any horse show she's been to, if I haven't <laughs> pointed out. There is a tractor on top of a silo on the way to Gordyville, USA. And those of you who live in Illinois or go to Gordyville, you'll know exactly. Know what you're talking about. Do you? Yeah. yeah. And so I, to me that's always like, hey, we're halfway there. There's a tractor on top of the silo. So, anyway, back to the story. Okay, so one day on one of these drives, Joan saw a pony ride at a circus. That was the start of Joan's horse obsession. It basically what happened is that Joni sees this pony ride and she's like, You know, daddy, I want to ride the pony. I want to ride the pony. Or she was just squealing. And so Ash made the chauffeur pull over and Ash put her on the pony ride. And Ash is thinking, you know what? I'm going to get her on here. She's going to get scared and cry like all little kids. Kid wouldn't get off the ponies. I mean, totally loved it. And that began her obsession. So then there was a local public stable and Joan's first favorite horse's name was Dot. She was an old sway back horse that just seemed to really love Joan. You know how sometimes a horse totally connects with a rider and vice versa? Laser. Laser, exactly. <laughs> Lila and laser yeah. from the horse show um from the from the Casey. Yeah, Casey Hoover episode. Yeah. I was trying to think of what yep. that episode was called. Ash, of course, bought Dot for Joan, who was otherwise an old and broken down nag. Lucky Lucky Dot. Dot. And so Dot and Joan had this beautiful life together. Dot and Joan's first horse show earned a white ribbon, which I kind of assumed was fourth place, but I guess it was third. That wasn't... I mean, Ash wanted her to win right? Okay, so I've got I have to share a a section of this book with you about that. So this is quote from the book Blood and Money. A dozen years later, by the time that Joan had graduated from a private high school and was enrolled in the proper Stevens College for Women at Columbia, Missouri, the wall was filled with ribbons, mostly blue, and the shelves sagged from the trophies won in horse show events across the American South. In 1951, Ash wrote to a newspaper that inquired about his daughter... And this is Ash quoting Joan asked me to write a resume. It's as simple as that, she thinks. But how do I begin to tell you about my talented little girl? She won her first ribbon in equitation when she was five years old, a third at the Houston Fat Stock Show. She began riding three-gated and five-gated horses and winning in amateur stakes by the time she was seven. She was reserve champion in amateur five-gated stake at Baton Rouge, Louisiana in 1938 when she was just seven years old on midnight, a black gelding. I am sending you a picture torn out of my personal scrapbook, and in this, he said says, please return it as it is so important to me. She was first and second in practically all of the equitation and juvenile three and five gated classes from 1938 through 1945. She won $2,000 championship three gated stakes classes. She sings, plays the piano, swims, works, reads, and is a perfect, wonderful child. Her mother and I adore her. Every minute around her is a treasure. He Loved her so much.
1: Well, and so what I'm going to take from this too is that I mean, I think she must have been a talented rider. Yes, right. I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure that he bought her the best of the best horses. But how many children or adults do we know that have the very high priced horses? Boatloads that, of money. They can't, can't ride them. Get, the best trainer with- and the best horse yeah. in the whole world, and they still can't get them shown. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that she had those, and she must have been talented to get them shown.
0: 100%. Very, very talented. So when Joan left Houston to attend Stevens College, okay, you ready for this? Ash leased a suite of rooms at a hotel next to campus where Rhea stayed, and Ash came up for long weekends. She took her horse there. The horse's name was Song of Revelry, and Joan would run from college classes to the barn and to her mom and dad's suite. All the time. Her friends felt sorry for her because she was always going in a hundred directions. Hello, helicopter parenting. Yeah. Uh, I don't think at my point in <laughs> my life I would want my parents like right there. That's- so clearly Ash loved his daughter, but couldn't let go when she went to college.
1: Yeah, that's that's a bit tough. Yeah. So this so is... So I'm still waiting to find out if she's Nelly.
0: I'm going to tell you, she really wasn't. She was sweet.
1: You know, if they were sweet and kind.
0: Yeah. I mean, Harriet Olson was not sweet and kind. So Nellie probably learned it from Harriet Olson,
1: And could be. And I mean, why wouldn't she be sweet and kind? She got everything. She, She never had to, like, beg or plead for it. She just got whatever she wanted. Exactly. Up
0: to this point in her life, so... Yeah. And so you think about it. Here she is. She's completely smothered at home in Texas. She goes off to college in Missouri, and her mom and dad lease a suite of rooms by campus so that she can be with them on the weekends. The weekends you don't want to be with your mom and dad in college. I
1: don't think they were having
0: keggers at the suite. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and you know the thing is is that from everything I've read, her friends felt sorry for her, but she didn't complain. I mean, she she seemed to really love her mom and dad. So even though they spoiled her, she really she really loved and respected them and so she tried to keep them happy too.
1: Well, and I mean from the amount of information that you have from this book, this author obviously did a lot of research and talked to a lot of people that that knew her cuz I haven't heard you yet say any have anyone say anything jealous or hateful about her.
0: No, In the other sources that I've pulled, they never nobody ever said to anything jealous or hateful about her. She was, well, there was one. And she's coming up. Oh. Okay. So by the time, so Joan goes off to college, mommy and daddy are on campus next door to her. So by the time Joan was 20, she had already been married and divorced twice. So if you're thinking 20, you're still kind of in college. She was married and divorced twice by the time she was 20. That was the
1: one thing that daddy must not have been able to control.
0: Exactly. Or did he pick
1: them out for no.
0: her? No. So the first one was, her first husband was Spike Benton. He was a Navy pilot. Ash was like, no way, you're too young. Joan, of course, begged and pleaded. Ash sadly agreed to support the marriage. They got married Then they moved to Pensacola, where Spike had flight training. And miraculously, Ash suddenly retired from the oil business and decided that it would be nice for him and Rhea to buy an apartment in Pensacola. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that that pilot was like, Like, I'm out out of here." here. So Ash started every morning visiting Joan for coffee. Without much surprise, that marriage crashed within six months as did Ash's retirement and he moved back home to Texas. <laughs> so, marriage number 2 was to a New Orleans lawyer. His name was Cecil Burglass. Joan had actually known him since childhood and they both loved horses. Ash was even more adamant that you uh, we you are not getting married again. He said this is a rebound. So, Joan and Cecil actually eloped. And, of course, they moved to New Orleans. The only way that that could have happened was because it happened so many years ago before there
1: was, like, tracking devices or secret cameras. Like, otherwise, (laughs) if it had been nowadays, Ash would have been, like, (laughs) there would have been bodyguards. Somebody would have been following
0: around and stopped that. (laughs) So, of course, Ash and Rhea moved to New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Major... Helicopter parenting. So on one hand, as a little girl, that relationship between her dad and her was just beautiful and charming and warm and admirable. But the woman's an adult. She can't even get married without mommy and daddy living next door.
1: Yeah. I mean do you think of your own your own Adult children, or almost adult children, and parents stopped knowing anything at a certain age. So, you got to wonder if Joni was like, okay, if she kind of got bitter towards that and was like, she didn't. So, seem she just to. let them. She, just, she just maybe she was smart. I <laughs> wasn't smart. Maybe she was just beautiful, and maybe there wasn't maybe she wasn't smart. Was she smart, Gina? I don't know. Talented
0: horseman, beautiful. I don't think she needed to be smart. I mean, everything was handed to her. Right? I don't think she ever really needed to. And I guess what they said in college was that her academics were average, but I'm going to tell you, my academics were average in my undergrad too, because I was more concerned about my social life. And that was kind of her. Now, when I went on to grad school, I was really able to kind of focus and zero in. Well, that's
1: because you were paying for yourself. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was an exceptional graduate student. I was a Below average undergrad, and I think that was kind of her she was she was just kind of an average college student, but she had this vibrant, bright, engaging, fun life and so i don't know, I don't think she ever had to test her intelligence because she didn't need to. Daddy always took care of her, so anyway, she marries she marries Cecil, they're living in New Orleans, of course. Ash and Rhea moved there. Ash actually put his foot down at one point and decided that he was shutting his disobedient daughter out of his life. And the bird glasses eventually separated, and then they they eventually divorced. But somewhere in there, Rhea called Joan and basically said, you have to come home right away. And this is when Joan and her husband were kind of struggling anyway, Rhea called Joan and said, you've got to come home. Your father is very ill. He's having a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. So Joan raced home to find that Ash had basically miraculously recovered. Yeah, imagine that. And so Joan moved home. Were Cecil – Cecil was her husband at this point, right?
1: Yes. So were they still involved in the horse world? Were they still showing horses?
0: Well, it was kind of more racetrack. And so – What happened is that when Ash was supposedly sick, Joan raced home to see her father. Ash begged Joan to stay home. He offered Joan, quote, a new Cadillac, a mink coat, a diamond ring, and any horse that she wanted. And so that was the end of marriage number two. Now, the Robinsons blamed it on Cecil's devotion to the racetrack. So I think they were kind of involved with betting on race horses and that was their, that was their focus, not necessarily the five gated or any other kind of horse shows. But the Robinsons blame the disillusion of the marriage on Cecil's obsession with the racetrack, where I think Ash was really kind of the force that said, Joan, you're not happy anyway. I'll give you all this if you come home. And so she did. So, Joe moved home and enjoyed her life as a Houston socialite.
1: Let me ask you this question, though.
0: Yeah. Given
1: those five things, or if there was five or whatever, the mink coat, the diamond, the Cadillac, or the horse, there's really only one that I would really have to have. The horse. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't care so much about the mink coat. They're no. hot. Yeah. Not, are you going to wear a mink coat? No. I'm, but I guess if you're a socialite. Yeah.
0: He he's basically throwing everything out, shotgun approach, and whichever one she took, (laughs) it was gonna work. (laughs) So Joan moved home and she truly enjoyed her life as a socialite. She kind of kept it quiet that she was twice divorced because back then obviously that wasn't a great thing, a great label to have. She
1: was twenty. And at this point she's still only twenty.
0: Yeah. She's only 20 years old. This was also the time that she found her famous horse, Beloved Belinda. Now, Beloved Belinda did not have such great bloodlines, but oh my gosh, was Beloved Belinda an amazing mover. So of course, Joan begged her dad to buy Beloved Belinda. So this is the sympathy horse. Yes. Like, we talk about, like, when our
1: kids have a disappointment in life. I mean, we used to show pigs, and, and if the kids had, like, something really disappointing in their life, we'd be like, we'll buy him a sympathy pig. And so, like, basically what a sympathy pig is, we pay way too much money for a show pig to make our kids feel better. So this was Ash's sympathy horse yes. for
0: his twice-divorced daughter. Yes, Absolutely. Ash paid $27,500 for this horse, which today I did the inflation on that. He paid $310,000 for that horse in today's money. $310,000. Wow.
1: That's That's a big sympathy horse.
0: So here's a quote from the book about beloved Belinda and Joan. And I quote, Joan elected to make her debut with the mayor at an important horse show in Louisville, Kentucky, a city celebrated for its attention to equine excellence. She devised a secret dollop of showmanship. Normally, Joan wore the black formal riding habit favored on the society show circuit. But to complement her new mount, she commissioned her tailors in Houston to design a riding costume in exactly the same shade as Belinda a lustrous pearl gray. Even the derby must be the same, she insisted. When Joan arrived at the Louisville Arena, she was dressed secretly and threw a robe over her outfit. She had schemed to enter the ring last after the other 30 horses and their riders performed. When the announcer called her name, Joan held Belinda back for a moment of suspense. Then, following a calculated script, she and the great horse burst forth An exquisite duet in gray demanding every eye in the house as a pair of superb dancers do when they seize a stage. Suddenly, there was no other horse or rider in the ring. At the end of the event, Joan Robinson and beloved Belinda swept the boards, and the crowd rose in emotional standing ovation. I have goosebumps! Goosebumps. To, to continue a newspaper man wrote Joan Robinson rides beloved Belinda it is one of the most achingly beautiful sights in the world it is a poem a waltz and it goes on to say that it gives that newspaper man's goose pimples their own Wait, goose pimples, goose pimples? <laughs> No, this is written a while ago. Goose pimples. Goose pimples? We're going goose bumps.
1: I thought you made a mistake. But it's no, it says goose, goose pimples. pimples.
0: <laughs> okay. okay, I'm, go- I'm Sorry, continuing. I'm going on with a quote. She was so
1: good. She was being so <laughs> eloquent <Okay>. and so <laughs> articulate. And I just totally got into the
0: pimples. I wonder when the world changed it from goose pimples to goose bumps. I don't, know. I don't know. Maybe because goose been, Pimple sounds bumps terrible. Is way better. It is way better. Okay, to continue the quote, horse shows tend to be hugely boring to the unsophisticated. I think that would be my husband. <laughs> Absolutely, that is the truth. <laughs> horse shows tend to be hugely boring to the unsophisticated, and that the typical one can last hours with endless processions of horses and riders pouring in and out of the ring with tedious waits for the judges to mark their cards. There is, of course, only so much that a horse can do, and a canter is not that much more invigorating to watch than a trot. But for seven years, Joan and Belinda were like a Roman candle set off in the middle of a preacher's sermon. So accustomed were Joan and Ash to winning, when the ribbon was not blue, a judge could feel their wrath. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. So Joan won five world championships on Beloved Belinda from 1953 to 1958. Well, and so, I mean, that's a
1: little bit like the Rita story.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. Rita
1: only won blue ribbons
0: for years and years and years. Illegal. I mean, she didn't win it illegally, but from funds that were obtained illegally. Yeah. So yeah. i to say
1: that, I mean... Ash apparently earned his money, but anyway, it just makes me – Yeah.
0: Well, there is some parallel. The the very wealthy person who wins and who doesn't win is not happy and that whole fortunate, blessed life where you can have anything you want.
1: Well, and you wonder too, like, were they really that good – or was Ash writing checks behind the scene? <laughs> and I'm going to guess that there was a lot of bitter, jealous people. Sure. That were like, yeah, her yeah. daddy's writing a check for that. That dad yeah. paid to the judge. But maybe they were just really that good. And, I, and it sounds like they were just really that good.
0: Outstanding. I think they were special. And then it talked about, and we'll get there in a second, but when Bel- beloved Belinda was retired, it talked about how Joan never really regained that level of notoriety again. She never found a horse that was as special. It was, it, the partnership was never there like it was with that particular horse. So I think there's a little bit of both. It also talked about how when Joan had a particularly good horse show, Ash would call the newspapers immediately. And he would also send the reporters, you know, special gifts at Christmas. <laughs> and he he knew how a to get a sales and marketing specialist. He was a sales and marketing specialist. So and here's another quick quote: It said that Joan continued as the girl about town during this time with Ash protecting her financing her not closing his eyes for sleep at night until the front door slammed and she was safely home he he loved her to a fault i mean he truly loved her to a fault he pretty much coddled her pampered her gave her anything she wanted when she was a child she tried to i guess find that same type of adoration in two spouses didn't work out. And then they helicopter parented her and somehow made it possible that she could come home. And so here she is. She's in her 20s. She's got this awesome horse. She has more money and time that she knows what to do with. She knows her parents love her. She loves her parents. She's really living the high life right now. And then comes Dr. John Hill. She met Dr. John Hill at a dinner party. John Hill he's he was from a south texas small town. His mother Myra was crazy religious, super super crazy religious. His dad was there and involved with his life, but he really he really was kind of this non figure in his life. His mother really drove Dr. John Hill as a boy. She was the one who was responsible for introducing John to music. And music, as we will find out later, was played, it played a huge role in the demise of Joan and John's relationship in marriage. So John Hill graduated from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, and he chose a residency in surgery and finally landed on plastic surgery. His early reputation was that he was quote, pleasant, likable, and a young doctor of potential talent, but one who is not wholly dependable. With that said, some of the other sources that I read were very complimentary on him, that he was an up-and-coming surgeon. And so Joan was at a dinner party, and Dr. Hill caught Joan's eye. Maggie Foster was the wife of another physician, and she was also Joan's friend. And she's the one that introduced Joan to John at the dinner party. And Maggie was uh, Maggie said that, you know what? They were not a good, they were not a good match. And as the book said, quote, these two people have nothing whatsoever in common, except they are both beautiful. She is rich, spoiled, bored, looking for a new husband. She knows horses and nightclubs and where Pa keeps his checkbook. John Hill knows how to play the trombone and make sutures. He's a mama's boy who winces every time Joe says, God damn, which is often. (laughs)
1: That's great. I like, is that Maggie? Yeah, I like
0: Maggie. <laughs> I know. But you know what? I like Joan. I mean, when I started this and said, why why was I so obsessed with this story? I want to be Joan's friend. She sounds like a blast. Vibrant, happy, fun, likes horses, tons of money. I like to ride on her coattails and jump in her Cadillac with her and we can go off to shows and have a great time.
1: In our next life.
0: Right. Okay, so... Joan's interest in John Hill basically completely changed John Hill's life. I mean, he came from a small town, his family, you know, they they were, I don't know, mildly successful small business owners, but nothing, nothing like what Joan had. And so when Joan had this interest in Dr. John Hill, John Hill's life changed with Joan picking up the bills for dinner, traveling, the party scene. I mean, Joan knew everyone that John Hill needed to know in the Houston elite society. And there were some discussions about was he a gold digger or did he really love Joan? I mean, in the beginning of their relationship, they were they were happy. They seemed to have a good time. Now, they were very different people, maybe opposites attracted, I don't know it came time for them to get married. Ash, of course, was, again, not enthusiastic of Joan marrying John Hill, but John Hill convinced Ash that he loved and worshipped Joan. And Ash figured that with all the schooling that John had left in, in the medical field, that, of course, John and Joan would need his support and perhaps a place to live. So John's mother, who, as I shared, was super religious, was not happy about John choosing a woman who had been divorced twice. And originally, she only thought that he had been divorced, that Joan had only been divorced once, but someone secretly sent a letter to her and told her about the second divorce. Hateful.
1: (gasps) Right? How mean.
0: How mean. And so she pretty much dug her heels in on the wedding day and was like, I'm not going. You're not getting married. And John's father, who like I shared, was kind of in the background, kind of a Didn't really engage much with much of the situation. He looked at his wife and said, We're going and we better get on the road. Otherwise, we're going to be late. And so, Good good for him. I guess because this doesn't, this doesn't end well. But anyway, they got married. They married in September of 1957, and Ash was quite happy to pay for the honeymoon and to have John and Joan upstairs after their marriage or after their wedding in his home after they got home from the honeymoon. They didn't move in and live with Ash. They lived with Ash for six years. Okay,
1: that's not good.
0: No young married couple should live With the parents. No. That's not healthy. No. So after their honeymoon, Ash was happy. Joan and John moved into his home where, again, they lived for six years. And the story goes about... And the the rationale behind that was John as... And I don't know how the medical field works, but he was a doctor who had a residency. And his, his peers, they weren't making much money. I mean, you don't make a lot of money, I guess, when you're at that phase. And he still had more schooling to do. So basically, Joan and John did not have much money. And so the the idea was like, okay, I'm Ash. I'm a Brazilianaire. You stay here. I'm going to take care of everything. And he was really willing to do it, although he did get a bit bitter about it towards the end. And the story is that John and Ash did not have a great relationship. So they're living there. But Joan and John did not spend a lot of time together. First of all, Joan was on the road showing beloved Belinda a lot. I mean, she was doing the traveling that you and I talked about in the horse show hangover episode. Mm-hmm. She was on the road a lot. And we know that that's a long weekends, and you get home and you try to reconnect and all of a sudden you're on the road again. And John, of course, and I'm using air quotes, couldn't go with her ever because of the responsibilities he had at the hospital, which makes sense. I mean, he's in an- up and coming doctor. He has a he has a obligation. And then any free time he had was spent on his music. And that became a major sore spot for them through the years. So in 1959, beloved Belinda was retired. And this is a quote from the book. Quote On the evening of her horse's last appearance, Joan dressed a final time in the gray riding outfit that blended perfectly with the mare. After a fanfare, the lights were lowered and there came the pause of anticipation, the moment of high theatrical suspense. Then, with spotlights dancing on the ring entrance, horse and rider burst forth for one last turn. In the glare, the horse was pale, its mistress almost washed away. There was darkness all around them. They seemed figures suspended in time and space. Joan began to weep. Her tears spilled down her cheeks onto the bodice of her gray coat. But that did not matter, for she would never again wear it. "'6,000 people rose and cheered. "'Ash Robinson stood on the fence "'near the writer's entrance and he cried "'as he could not remember having done "'since he was a child. "'He was transfixed, mesmerized, "'and he hoped that people damn well knew "'who bought that mare and who raised that girl.'" When she had concluded the last figure eight, Joan dismounted and tenderly removed Belinda's saddle. In its place, she put a blanket of fresh red roses. Then sobbing, she gently led beloved Belinda around the ring for a solo. A groom standing near Ash Robinson and his wife murmured, Abe Lincoln himself didn't have a funeral as good as this one. When it was all over, Joan led her horse out of the glare and into the barn. People swarmed about her, full of emotion of the moment. Ash embraced his daughter and kissed her proudly. Ma did the same. Joan looked about for her husband, but he was nowhere to be seen. Later, she learned that John was in a corridor discussing a musical scheduled for a few weeks later. I have two questions. Yeah? Number one, and
1: most important. Did they ever breed that mare? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm, all right. I want to know that. And number two, was,
0: was John a musician or just a fan of Both. music? Both. Okay. So it seems a little break in the action here as we discuss this. He So he was raised to love music, and he learned how to play a number of instruments. He kind of played in, I don't know if you call him like – it's like a side, like side group musicians. They were a bunch of doctors and they played at different gigs on the weekend. I mean, his main, his main income, his career was that, was that of a doctor, but he did play music all the time. He collected expensive records. He purchased this piano that was specially made for him from Europe. And I can't even, Ash paid for that. (laughs) Actually, Ash did not pay for that. He refused. Really? Yeah. So, But that happened later on when the marriage between Joan and John was not good. So he wasn't a musician, but it was kind of like his obsession with music caused him that when he wasn't working as a doctor, he was playing side gigs with his buddies. He was doing solo performances. It was really his side passion. So anyway, back to Beloved Belinda's retirement. They they go through all this, this emotion, this major event, everybody's looking, thousands of people are cheering for them. Joan's bawling, Ash is bawling, he's proud, they can't find John anywhere. Joan was deeply hurt by this, but she didn't speak of it at this time. She kind of it seems like Joan started to realize that her husband wasn't paying attention to her. And she kind of didn't. She wasn't Nellie Olson. She kind of just started to accept it and it made her sad. Eventually she started speaking about it. But that's what but that's that led to the demise of their marriage. So Beloved Belinda was retired in 1959. Joan and John's son was born in June of 1960. Pregnancy was not easy on Joan, but of course, Ash since she lived at the house, was the one who was available to fetch anything that she needed if she wanted it. Ice cream, pickles. I mean, I know that's really cliche, but if she wanted a certain meal, Ash was the one that ran out and got it for Joan, not John. Frankly, John was pretty apathetic about becoming a father. And Ash's response was, well, oh well, we're excited about it. So... But when Robert Ashton Hill was born, John was uncharacteristically filled with exuberance. He went running around the the hospital. It's a boy. It's a boy. So he was super happy once the baby arrived. Robert Ashton Hill was immediately named Boot, B-O-O-T, by Ash. And that was what they called him after that was Boot. His name was Boot Hill. I love that. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. So everyone called him Boot. Now, a side note, after Joan's death, Boot was only ever called Robert by his father. And from that point forward, Boot himself referred to himself as Robert, which is kind of sad. So, back to the story. Ash opened his checkbook even wider for Boot than he did for Joan. I mean, he was enamored with his grandson. Now, during all of this, Dr. John Hill's career, it was plugging along, and there was a Dr. Nathan Roth who was he was watching for a partner in his plastic surgery firm. And he was cautiously impressed with John. They said that, quote, he was a tall, good-looking, broad-shouldered, genteel boy married to a beauty who knew everyone worth knowing in Houston. And that was pretty much a great description of Joan. But Dr. Nathan Roth, while he was considering John for partnership, was concerned about the, here I go air quotes, the arrangement at Ash Robinson's house. Ash sometimes did not always have glowing comments about his son-in-law. He didn't like the fact that he pretty much didn't pay for anything. I mean, Ash pretty much gave him room, board, food, you name it. He picked up the tab all the time.
1: I'm sorry, Ash, but you kind of set yourself up for that. (laughs) Right.
0: Well, Roth eventually offered a partnership to John Hill under... One condition. John Hill had to move his family to their own house. He had that leverage and he said, Listen, I want you as a medical partner, but you got to move out of your father in law's house. And he was quoted as saying, The rationale was a good partner is a happy partner. And he didn't feel that Dr. John Hill was happy in his arrangement somehow this random physician was the one who was able to extricate. He must have liked John.
1: He must have wanted to mentor him and realize, I mean, everybody knows that that's not a healthy situation. 100%. I mean, I I feel like he was probably trying to mentor him. Yeah. Great advice. Good job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nathan Roth was the one person who could get Joan away from her daddy, believe it or not. So Ash was not happy to hear that John and... Joan were leaving, but they were moving closer. They found a house near the Texas Medical Center, and it really wasn't that far away from Ash's house. I mean, they're still in the same city. Now, Dr. Roth was pleased with the hardworking Dr. Hill for a while, but some mistakes, some surgical mistakes, and his arrogance kind of dimmed their relationship. And for a variety of reasons, mostly because he felt John Hill was greedy and ambitious, their relationship soured. As Roth was quoted as saying, as long as the patient was willing to lie down on his table, then John Hill would operate and take their money. So Dr. Roth was not happy with the partner that he chose. Now, John Hill kept himself busy as a surgeon, but at this time, his obsession with his music was also growing. There wasn't a lot of room for Joan in his life. It was like he was a a surgeon and a plastic surgeon, to be more specific, and his obsession with music was growing. But Joan really didn't occupy a big focus for John. Now, at this time, Joan was busy as a doctor's wife a mother and going to all kinds of charitable events. She's still living her life as the Houston socialite. But John kept Joan, when they moved into their new house, John kept Joan on a super tight allowance while he was just hemorrhaging money on sheets of music and pianos and you name it. Now, Joan, on the other hand, was kind of patting her allowance with money from daddy. I mean, she knew where daddy kept his cash. This is a high-speed train headed for a wreck. Total disaster. Now, during this time, you know, this is during the retirement of beloved Belinda, and Joan never really found a partner, like I shared, that kind of met the stature that that Joan and her mare had. Now, she did have a little bit of success with a horse that was beloved Belinda's offspring. Oh, nice. Yeah, but still it just didn't it just didn't pan out. So, Joan had this great idea. She went to her daddy and she said, "Here's the thing. I think I want to have a career as kind of a barn owner. I'm going to breed and train and raise and show these magnificent horses, and we're going to make all kinds of money at this, having a horse farm, and I'm laughing because that never happens. (laughs) (laughs) But Ash was like, yep, I think it's a great idea, my sweet, precious, perfect child, I'll buy it for you. And it's going to be like probably right on his property. <laughs> that's close by. So he bought the farm for his daughter. They christened the farm Chatsworth Farm, which was actually named after a farm that Joan's mother Ria's family had owned long ago. So that's kind of a sweet, nice. a sweet nod to that. So John Hill tolerated his wife's obsession with this horse farm because in reality, it gave him more time to... Piddle with his music Right so again, they're going in completely different directions. Now, one thing that did happen is that John Hill was able to benefit from the farm because every year, Joan held this huge dinner where she invited all the prominent Houston people, the surgeons, doctors, and they spent the afternoon at the farm basically partying. It was a huge picnic. Of course, Ash was there standing over it like the king of Chatsworth Farm and was What it did is it created an opportunity for all these parents, these wealthy parents, to decide that they wanted their cute little their cute little cherubs to be able to ride horses like Joan. And so Joan would get a bunch of lessons. So anyway, so that the farm was kind of going along, but it really, it never really turned out to be the money making venture that Joan and Ash thought shocker. so they were living a quite a you know I don't want to say quite a ways a few miles away from Ash at this point. Well one day John came home excited. There was a house on Kirby Drive in the River Oaks community that was for sale. Guess who else lives on Kirby Drive in the River Oaks community? Ash. Oh Yeah, so John finds this house that he says is perfect for him and Joan to move to. Now, River Oaks was where all of the Houston elite settled and lived, and the house that John's that John found, it's described as looking like Tara from Gone with the Wind. I mean, and I looked at pictures on it online, and it's beautiful. It's one of those great big white Georgia style mansions with the huge pillars. And it was enormous. Now, Joan was reluctant. She's like, we don't have, we have one kid. We don't have the fight. You you keep me on a short leash when it comes to my allowance keeping this house up. We can't afford this. I can't afford to keep this house up. And John was just, he was exuberant. He totally wanted this place in part because... There was a huge unfinished space by the garage that John had envisioned for his music room. Now, I'm gonna jump ahead and tell you briefly about this music room. It was, it ended up being, people described it as being as elaborate as Versailles. I mean, everything was in gold. There was four miles of wire throughout this space. It was two stories. One source said it was two stories high. It was the best of the best of the acoustics. He, John Hill, spared no expense on this space. It was immaculate. Absolutely beautiful. So anyway, they ended up buying the house. They bought it for $95,000, which today's cost would have been $820,000. Of course, the down payment for the house was from Ash. Ash Ash was just thrilled to have them so close together again. So... They were living their life. John and Joan were still a mismatch. You know, Joan continued to be a light, open, fun, vivacious, unsuspicious, no secrets woman. Her telephone was always busy. She was social. She was gregarious. She had tons of friends. Where John was kind of the opposite. He was secretive, stiff, uncommunicative, and he relished his music. He just wanted to focus on his music. and Introvert. Introvert. 100%. He often ignored his wife and the snippy little comments she made in public. So Joan wasn't Nellie Olsen, but she got tired of it. I mean, I feel empathy for her because she seemed to truly love her husband and he wasn't paying attention to her. And I feel like she kept having these mini temper tantrums Where she felt like, well, if she says this, she'll get a reaction. And she just, he was, there was nothing coming back from him. So Joan seemed to be trying to get John's attention during some public spats. Joan adored John and tried to keep his focus. John just seemed completely indifferent. I mean, girlfriend that's coming up. So, Dr. Wow. Roth and Dr. Hill's partnership, it finally dissolved. Dr. Roth was just sick of it. He didn't he didn't really have much respect for Dr. Hill. He he was not happy with the way Dr. Hill ran his patients. And so, Dr. Hill, John Hill, ended up getting his own suite of offices, and his own office himself was large enough to put a piano in it. And so this gave Dr. Hill yet I'm rolling my eyes at his obsession with music. Total obsession and with music. Perhaps
1: people that are not horse lovers would roll <laughs> their, their eyes
0: at the horse obsession. Yeah. So
1: we started as a big eye roller. It's just a big I mean,
0: we started the horse industry podcast cuz we're obsessed with horses. So True. Yeah. I roll. Okay, so now Dr. John Hill, he's actually doing pretty well financially and he wanted to realize that dream of this elaborate music room. And that's where the the financing of this music room came in. So what what does John Hill do? He asks his father-in-law Ash for a loan to start building this music room. And Ash was like, "Uh, no. (laughs) First of all, your your mortgage, I paid, I'm paying for the down payment of your mortgage or your, your mortgage with me. And now you want more money to build a music room, which is already taking too much of your time. Well, that annoyed John Hill. And he's like, fine, I'll get my own loan. So he goes to the bank, gets a big loan pays Ash back on the mortgage and gets enough money that he can start this. I mean, I can't even begin to describe to you the high-end fixtures and quality of this music room. So he starts his music room. When he asked Ash for that $10,000, it would have been $78,000 today to start this music room. Well, they're living their life. John and Joan... They don't have a great relationship, but they're coping. Joan is desperately trying to get her husband's attention. John is indifferent, but they're just, they're just kind of plugging along, I guess. Well, in 1968, a fateful decision was made to have John go with Joan to pick up boot from a summer camp. He wasn't supposed to go. But Joan's saying, here, here's the deal. You're not paying attention to me, and you're not paying attention to our son. You have to go. Don't tell me something happens to Boot. No, Boot's fine. And actually, I think Boot is still alive today. Okay. Yeah, so no, Boot's fine. Boot was eight years old. He was at the summer camp. Joan didn't want him to go to the summer camp, but John was like, he's going. He needs to be socialized, make friends. He's going. And Joan's like, fine. You want him to go to the summer camp. We're picking him up and you're going with me. So they go to the camp. This changed everything. And this started the whole Joan Robinson demise down the path that it went because John met Anne Kurth. Join us next week to find out what happens after the meeting of John Hill and Ann Kurth. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.